thank you for joining me for a few moments to ponder Ruth. I'm Betsy Marvin, and this is episode 52. Boaz went to the town gate and took a seat there. Just then, the family redeemer he had mentioned came by, so Boaz called out to him, Come over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. Then Boaz called ten elders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, You know Naomi, who came back from Moab? She is selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away, because I am the next in line to redeem it after you. The man replied, "Hmm, All right, I'll redeem it. Then Boaz told him, Well, of course your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. That way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. Oh, well, then I can't redeem it, the family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land. I cannot do it. Now, in those days, it was the custom in Israel for anyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal and hand it to the other party. This publicly validated the transaction. So the other family redeemer drew off his sandal as he said to Boaz, You buy the land. Then Boaz said to the elders and to the crowd standing around, You are witnesses that today I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Melion. And with the land, I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Melian, to be my wife. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. You are all witnesses today. Ruth 4, 1 through 10. Have you ever had a meeting that you knew was so important that you rehearsed every word, anticipated what might be said, and practiced what you would respond? As Boaz left the threshing floor that morning, I'm sure the wheels were turning as he began to process how to go about meeting with his relative about Naomi and Ruth. He would have known this relative and his situation in life, and I think that plays into how he went about the process of disclosing the situation around Naomi's land and Ruth's hand in marriage. As Naomi suspected, he could not rest. Boaz goes straight to the town gate, which in that time was not only the entrance to the town, but more of a public square. It was the seat of government, platform for dignitaries, a pulpit for messages and speeches, and the hub of all the local gossip. Basically, the entire community was aware that if it was important, 
it would happen at the gate. Boaz waits there for his family member, the closer relative, who eventually passes by and he calls him, Friend, come sit with me. Then he calls over ten elders. If I had been the relative who does remain unnamed in scripture, I would have started to sweat just a bit, wondering what was going on. As the elders gathered, I have a feeling the crowd grew as they watched to see what was about to happen. Now, just as a reminder, Naomi, as a woman, cannot inherit her husband's land, meaning she doesn't technically own it. But as Boaz dives in and says, you know Naomi, showing us that they actually all know each other, he gives Naomi the value that is unprecedented here by calling the land hers. That land would have been lying fallow, waiting for Elimelech to return and reseed it. But it would be a great investment for the Goel as it would increase his property holdings and bring more inheritance to his own sons. Now, Boaz lets him know that if he doesn't want the land, that he'll redeem it himself. But, of course, the man does want to redeem it. Boaz is laying out a choice before his friend and relative, as he then drops the rest of the situation. Ruth. He combines the kinsman-redeemer law and the leveret law, as Ruth did before and reminds the relative that the land will stay with the offspring and not become his. But it's a gamble. Ruth was barren. There was a strong possibility that she wouldn't have any children and the land would go to the kinsmen anyway when Naomi died. But if in marrying Ruth she did have a child, her son would receive the land, thus infringing on the inheritance the land would bring. So the man has a choice. And does he take the offer? His response was, hmm, I might endanger my own estate. Now we can only speculate as to what that actually meant. Did he not have the means to support Naomi and Ruth as well as any additional children or Did he already have a challenging family situation that he didn't want to add to? Due to the way of life at that time, we can assume that he most likely was already married and would bringing a new wife be challenging in his home? It's just too much. He declines the offer and gives Boaz his sandal. Okay, so what's the deal with a sandal? Well, in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, they both refer to this act without much explanation. But in the archaeological Bible, it states that this act derives from property rights and the right of the person who owns a piece of land to be the one that walks on it. This image does make sense as we see the sandal transfer the rights of property to someone else. As he receives the sandal, Boaz, now breathing easier, declares to everyone present his intentions to buy Elimelech's land and marry Ruth. And he includes his intention to be sure that her son would inherit that land. We get the impression of joy and celebration as the blessings are spoken in return. 
And we'll dive into that blessing in our main characters in our next episode. This encounter at the town gate with these two men show us, in my opinion, two sides of the biggest obstacle to deepening our walk with God. All throughout Scripture, God asks people to listen, learn, and grow. Many times that meant having to admit that their thinking was mm, wrong. Sometimes the learning of truth requires us to rethink our lives. The closer relative shows us what it's like when we're not willing to change our circumstances in order to be obedient to God's direction and follow Jesus. Like him, we turn down change because it might endanger our current way of life. We, we like what we do, what we have, what we believe. And the cost of following Jesus is just too high. And we resist rethinking our beliefs. Boaz, on the other hand, gives us a glimpse into someone willing to subvert the system, rethink how women are seen and treated, He rethinks how his legacy and inheritance will play out. And he's not held captive to the dominantly held belief about the role of men. By freeing himself from those expectations, he can do the right thing, even when it will cost him. So much countercultural thinking has happened in Boaz as he takes Ruth, someone beneath him socially, someone that will likely not bring children to be his wife. And, oh, let's not also forget that she was a Moabitess, a foreigner, not an Israelite, and she had nothing. In this, he shows us Hased, sacrificial, unconditional, abiding love. In Romans 12, 2, Paul says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Jesus spent so much of His time helping His followers unlearn cultural teachings so that they could embrace Kingdom of God living. Just as his disciples did, as Boaz did, we need to unlearn cultural norms through the renewing of our minds, bringing our thinking into alignment with Christ. As we rethink how we follow him, how we see ourselves, and how we see our world, we are able to more closely walk in God's will walking in ways that lead to life. I love how Romans 12, 2 is worded in the message. It says this, Here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture 
that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. So we have a choice as well. Which man at the gate represents you today? Do you find yourself resisting the teachings of Jesus because it just requires too much adjustment, both in your life and in your mind? Or are you willing to allow God to renew your mind and bring you closer to Him, even though it might require deep change and learning? What would your life look like if you chose the latter? So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. Your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. So fix your attention on God. And you'll be changed from the inside out. Amen.